Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Thriving Minds podcast. I'm Professor Selena Bartlett. I'm a neuroscientist, and today we're very, very lucky to have Dr. Sandra Chapman, or Sandy, as she's well known around the world. She's a cognitive neuroscientist. She's the founder and chief director of the Center for Brain Health. She's the D. Wiley Distinguished Professor in Brain Health and Professor in the School of Behavioral and Brain Sciences at the University of Texas, Dallas. And that's the shortest version I could come up with. She is incredibly famous. Thank you so much for giving us your time today, Sandy. Would you like to tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yes, thank you, Selena, for inviting me to be on your show and to thank you for all the work that you do and spreading the word globally. I can hardly wait to do it together. Just imagine what we could do. Um, but I um, you know, I started off my career as a speech language pathologist, but I was changed very early when I was practicing. And I tell this story because a lot of people wonder, how did you ever get into brain health? And it was really my, the patients that I saw in the schools that made me realize what we had been trained in school was really not accurate. It was wrong. So I, you know, I am a, I, I sometimes say that I am a, a accidental futurist, uh, that I accidentally began to realize that what we're learning from neuroscience and practice is really wrong. And so I kind of happened, happened on, on it, uh, you know, and so after being a speech pathologist, I went on to get my PhD in cognitive neuroscientist. And even then, you know, I've been doing this for more than three decades. Everything I learned has been reversed. So that's just a quick introduction of accidentally getting uh, individuals to show me that what I was learning in the books was really inaccurate. And I just wanted to set out to see what could be done to make the brain stronger, more fit. So I, I'm reading in your background history, which is incredible, uh, you talk about working with autistic children and then noticing that they were gifted and this led you to change your mind about the brain. Yes. Selena, it's, I, I mean, I, I wish I could find Brian today because he really changed the course of my whole life. The Brian was an 11 year old autistic child. I actually started the first classroom uh, in the Dallas Independent School District more than 40 years ago. And uh, the kids, all the, there were six of them and they were all labeled severely mentally impaired without the ability to even learn or change. And uh, within the first week when I started working with them, Brian, I could see was watching me, you know, just like a Hawkeye. And I thought he couldn't understand verbally what I said and didn't have any uh, verbal language back and he just rocked and you know you know that 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 banged his head and I thought he's watching me so I knew sign language and I went through sign language and he learned it after one trial wow and I went oh my goodness do you know how many trials it took me and this wizard kid that's been labeled severely mentally impaired learned it after one trial 
And then I had a broken tape recorder. And I love to tell this story because in the old days, you didn't just pull out your phone. <laughs> you had tape recorders that had to be repaired. No one could fix it. It was broken. And one day he was watching me push buttons like crazy. And he goes, rawr, rawr. and he takes my tape recorder from me, takes it apart down to the screws and literally in 40 minutes puts it back together and it works for the first time. And that's why I say I'm an accidental futurist because Brian made me realize that our tests are so outdated and they're, they were never meant to test the upward potential of the human mind. Absolutely. Uh, I, I really second that. So is this how you came to found the Brain Health Center? You, you founded this center really 20 plus years ago when no one was thinking like this. In fact, I imagine most people thought you were crazy when you said about doing this. Tell us about how that came about and the reception that you received compared to now. Well, you know, when I, I kept saying I wanted to develop a research center that's focused on uh, people across the lifespan, brain health, and using that word, and everyone said that doesn't exist. You know, you outside of uh, you know injury and disease, there's no such thing. And I said, I want there is, and I want to develop a center with experts where we really focus on it. And my dean, actually, at the time, it took me five years, so it was not a quick thing that happened. I just was relentless, and I would come back and I say, I really want to develop this center where we're focused on this, um, you know, and at that time I started getting grants and aging and showing that people could do far beyond what we thought the aging mind could do. People with brain injury could continue to recover years afterwards. So finally, when I convinced him, boom, we started with our center. I came up with the name brain health in 1999 is when I started the center was so new that we got a trademark on it. It did not even exist. Did not exist. I know. I mean, that's how new it was. And even today, Selena, you'll appreciate this. People, when they use the term brain health, still go immediately to Alzheimer's disease or brain injury. So they use it, but they really are still talking about registering for all detecting early Alzheimer's. So, you know, we're, we've made significant progress. Um, it's, a, it's quite significant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once I started the center. Word, and, it's still fraught. People think you shouldn't be using that word. It seems too anatomical. They don't like that word brain health. It's really interesting. I don't understand why they're happy to say heart health. I know. Well, thank you. Yeah, I like that. And so what what term do you like? So we kind of struggle sometimes with uh, brain health, brain wellness, uh, you know, to get people. What what do people in Australia? Well, we're just shifting. Uh, I think the pandemic, as you've realized, has opened a window. I really love brain health and fitness because I think it uh, is better than mental health and illness. And it focuses on everyone has a brain. So it democratizes mm-hmm. the brain for people. And so it stops sweeping it under the carpet. So mental health and illness, even though we tried to move to mental health, to me still implies that you don't talk about it because you don't want anyone to think you're crazy. I hope that brain health and fitness doesn't end up in the same category. I, I, I think in your no, opinion, you I think and I are going to make sure you and I are going to make sure it doesn't. It can't. 
Um, I and I think you're right. Mental health, you know, we is has so much stigma, and it's all about diagnosing what's wrong with your brain, but not what is capacity building. Like when you referred to heart health, that's really what our bold goal is now: is to do for brain health what's been achieved for heart health, where we remove the stigma because every single person has stigma about their brain because we've always addressed it as you're either fine or you need a diagnosis of something. And so you only keep, go see someone about your brain when you're worried memory or, you know, there's things that run in the family or you're worried about mental health, but not to really build capacity in a preventive nature. And we now know that more can be done for a brain and health before something happens than after the fact. So would you say the pandemics allowed the public and scientists even to change their thinking about what you started in 1999? I do. I, you know, the pandemic, you know, it's really been horrific, but, you know, and there's been so many crises stacking things that have happened, you know, the economic crisis, the, um, the health, the, uh, just the wars, the divisiveness that we see worldwide with, you know, so much hatred and vitriol that I think not a single person has not thought, how can I begin to think clearly and develop ways forward? So the pandemic has definitely made people realize it's, it's not a given that uh, we're going to be able to keep it, keep our mind for the rest of our life, because we know that we're living longer, but we really aren't keeping the vitality of our mind stronger. And I think people miss that. It's been the loneliness, the fear, the loss of jobs, the loss of loved ones, uh, the depression, the stress, the anxiety, sleep disorders is higher than ever before. So I think not a single person has been impacted. So I, it's interesting. People are much more willing now to kind of say yeah let's build let's build more brain health let's see how much fitter my brain can become so the bad something good I think has actually come out of the pandemic yes and you you promote this on your website too about um try and remember the the name of the person that said that we need to make this an epicenter to change the world yeah he's he's very much focusing on this Yes. So, you know, uh, we have Admiral Bill McRaven is our national spokesperson. And he said, you know, as I've traveled around the world and, you know, seen countries and K through 12 education, um, you know, our military, the the, uh, safety, the compassion that we need to show to people, nothing is more important to each, every individual, but to really all of our cities, our communities, our countries to thrive than brain health. Without brain health, as you know, in my signature, I say without brain health, we don't have health because it's true. Um, our brain what, health drives everything. Would you like to d- describe to the audience what your definition of brain health is and maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's, Really, in terms of what brain health is, we simply define it as making the most of your brain skills 
to thrive in your context. So whatever your starting point, whatever your education level, whatever your economic level, individuals can learn to use their brain skills and elevate their overall brain health each year by the things that they do. And so we're defining it. We've developed measures that look at it in a holistic way. So it's not right now, the way people have looked at the brain has been very siloed, either mental health, cognitive function, social agility, your real life complexity. Well, we know that all of those work together to make you thrive in your life context. So our brain health index that we've developed over the last two and a half decades looks at different factors that contribute to that. So one is what we find as we define it and measure it, for example, is clarity. And clarity isn't what's your memory like only. It's not what is your IQ, but it's what is your innovative thinking like? What is your deeper level reasoning to see solutions where nobody else can see them? Sleep adds into clarity, as does compassion. Think about that. Compassion adds to your clarity of thought. The other big category that we identified with brain health was what we call connectedness. And you know, people sometimes say, would you rather have book smart or people smart? Well, connectedness are people that know how to be people smart that know how to develop social relationships, but it's also tied to a purpose in life. And so you can thrive with people. The pandemic has heard that. And then the other area is what we call emotional balance. So being able to deal with the adversity in life, but know that you're gonna be able to stay with some composure. Is there something that you've discovered personally that really shifted your own thinking about one, your, your own brain health that really accelerated your need to get this globally scaled? You know, in terms of what, it wasn't something personally, but it was every single individual uh, that was told, you know, and I could give you story after story. You know, there was a young man that was, for example, 30, um, that had had an earlier um, uh, aneurysm uh, and he had a stroke when they went in to repair it. And the doctors, the neurosurgeons, uh, after the recovery period said, you will never be able to do anything but be, you know, the lowest of jobs that you can imagine. Um, back then, he said, you know, and I said, I just tested you with these innovative thinking and different measures. And I said, you are so smart. What do you want to do? And he said, oh, no, you don't understand. And I said, you just tell me what you want to do. And he said, I want to go to school. I've always wanted to go to school. And I said, let's go. So he went to community college. We helped him just a little bit, not much. He got a full scholarship to one of our prestigious colleges colleges here, graduated magna cum laude, and went on to graduate this master's degree with straight A's to help individuals. 
So the things, uh, you know, there's people after people that have been told, oh, you grew up in poverty or you grew up on a dirt road or, you know, you there's no way you can do more because you didn't read by the time you were six or X, Y, Z. And it's this mindset is so wrong. It doesn't take into account the amazing neuroplasticity and all the complexity of our brains being able to continuously use skills to be better wherever we start, wherever we are. So that's really what drove me is thinking young. You're right now when people say brain health, this is, Celine, you'll get a kick out of this. People say, well, I don't need brain health yet. Because <laughs> we think about brain health and aging and even our National Institute of Aging is the only place where there's a definition of brain health. So it's thought of as a disease that you only think about when you're 65 or 70. I know it's outrageous. <laughs> it is outrageous. It is you because know, we have a brain from the day we're born and, and it's even set up before that, isn't it? We now know. Yeah. That. Well, I say, would you wait to brush your teeth until you were 60? <laughs> and we can do more for our brain. You know, I, I starting young, whether we're a teenager, emerging adults, a lot of things. The other thing that's changed me a lot, Selena, is that I'm maybe if you were to say, what are you most worried about is the young adults today? Um, because we are seeing they're kind of growing up into this when the lives are to be exciting, new jobs, new loves, new adventure and everything shut down jobs were being turned over, the whole economic crisis, the levels of stress, anxiety, and depression are higher. We're diagnosing it, we're treating it, but it's victimizing them more than it's making them empowered right. to be who they are, the social isolation. Uh, so brain health is something that people can begin to embrace so they can say, let me be more fit tomorrow and not just see what's wrong with my brain. Yes, I think this is so important. Uh, in Australia, during the pandemic, we had a lot of lockdowns uh, and the research has been published showing 19 to 25-year-olds had the greatest increase in reporting on mental health disorders and the psychologists over here can't even fit in new people to see. And uh, and this is this is this is hard to watch for people like you and I where we know that there's simple strategies that can be applied every day with a, when you shift the focus towards helping people see brain health and fitness messages. Yeah. Yes. I couldn't agree more. I, th you know, so much our first line is I'm feeling down, hurry, get a diagnosis and get medication, but it silos it. So it's not, don't get help, get help, get medication if you need it but you need to also learn new habits to use your brain. So it's both and so that you can use this amazing engine to figure out that what it can do forward. I think one of the most surprising uh, things as during the pandemic uh, is when we launched this global brain health project. And I hope Selena, that you will help be an engine for Australia being a big part of it. Uh, now that you've got this, podcast that reaches so many people uh, for healthy people to begin to say, Hey brain, let's go see how uh, much we can do. But the greatest impact we made 
was the improvement in this brain health index, but mostly in the area of improving their psychological health. Yes. And it wasn't that, yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about how that came about? Um, Why don't you tell people about what you do at your center? Because it's quite amazing. Like tell tell, um, the audience about what you house there, the... Yeah, it's very um, multidisciplinary. Um, You also help people, right? They come to your center. Do you want to talk a little bit about your center? Yeah, so I started the center in 1999, really as a research center, because I wanted to have, have rigorous science to really help the naysayers that there's no such thing as brain health. So we've done a lot of randomized trials with middle schoolers, Uh, kids in poverty that were told they could never overcome, um, you know, what the, the levels that they can. So we've got a big team of uh, people working with training teachers to show that they can function at the level of private school educated kids. We've doubled their graduation rates, their uh, academic scores in science, math, history, and English, not by teaching them to be fact regurgitators, but rather teaching them to be innovative thinkers. So it's the science that we've driven. We've uh, looked at uh, young adults. We've looked at older adults um, to see actually, I mean, there's so much to say, but our center grew from a ragtag team of about 25 scientists, research clinicians to 125 focused on brain change. You know, now that we've got functional brain imaging, Mm -hmm. literally we can show changes in the connectivity of the central executive network in healthy people. Think about people 50 and older regaining the speed of communication of a two to three decades before younger working brain, but with all the rich experience they have as older people. I call it the penultimate brain. That's what we've shown. Older people, 50 and older, and I say that's older because, you know, people say that, but they were 50 to 75, regained two decades of brain blood flow, connectivity, synchrony, and even white matter. And this Uh, is by doing brain training. By doing tactical brain strategies, teaching you how to use your brain in your everyday life. The good thing about our brain is you use it anyway. You need to learn to use it like the apps more properly versus kind of stopping some of the toxic behaviors that we have been used to, like multitasking, constant distractions, our poor social skills. So we teach people how to use your brain in whatever your context is. So the center itself, we, we, were, we would have people say, well, can you help me? And we're like, if they didn't qualify for a study, we couldn't help them. So we launched the Brain Performance Institute, which was where people can begin to come and we began to train corporations and teachers and law enforcement and military and everybody could come, uh, but you had to come here. Well, not everybody can come to the da- to Dallas, Texas, to the Center for Brain Health. So, uh, and, we, and then right after that, we launched the Salmon's Brain Health Imaging Center where we are uniquely looking at markers of a brain getting better. If you take a drug right now, you just kind of guess, is my brain better? I think it is. Well, we don't know. That's really what we're doing to see what is a brain that's getting better 
can we have some objective repeatable measures? And how's that going? Any insights there? For you know, we've got some really good markers um, that we are that we that are very promising. We need to validate them in larger studies, so we're in the process of doing that right now with this global effort that we've launched, which is the Brain Health Project. Yeah, so exciting. Do you want to tell anyone, tell people a little bit about what the Brain Health Project's aims are? Is this the democratization of brain health? Yes. And I, you'll get, get a kick out of this before this uh, podcast, Selena. I said, are there any, is anyone in Australia enrolled in the Brain Health Project right now? Uh, because we're in every single state in the US and we're in 32 countries of people that have just heard about it and enrolled. Right now, it's people ages 18 to 100 that can enroll in it, that are healthy, uh, that can be in it. And we have 50 people from Australia. Excellent. So I hope I'm that, not surprised. I hope that we have hundreds of thousands, though. I want more because Australia is like, you know, this big country. And I, they kind of get what it's like. They've got kind of the, the rugged can-do spirit. Absolutely. I think would be willing to do it. So what you do, the project was really inspired by our chancellor at the time of the whole UT system. When we launched the Brain Health Imaging Center, he said, Sandy, what you've done here and working with almost 100,000 people is good, but people still have to come to your center. I want you to do something that's bolder and more democratizing, as you say, I like that, that word to use where people can access it everywhere. So we spent about 18 months pulling together people that I've worked with over the last two decades of my science. So uh, Mark Desposito at Berkeley, uh, Jeff Ling, who was head of DARPA, one of the big agencies mm -hmm. that does you know, innovative thinking and solving solutions. And that's at Hopkins, people from MIT, Harvard, UCSF, UCLA, and, and Yale, and all over. We have 33 of the top 50 experts that are uniquely focused on brain health holistically that are part of our team. I think you might need to be part of us too, to tell you the <laughs> truth. But our goal was to show that we could do for brain health what's been achieved for heart health. And that people could be, we could holistically define what is brain health and define the upward potential to have the markers from a brain perspective, but also holistically, and that people could gain and could maintain and they could prevent. So right now we're looking at people that will sign up for 10 years to take this in online. And now it's all online. Amazing. You can do it. People can go online today and sign up thebrainhealthproject.org and sign for the people that sign up these first two years. It's going to be free for life. Eventually, there will be a subscription to it. But we're the people that will help us do the science, yes. wherever they are, will be part of that. And will you be doing some brain imaging as well? So the people that are local or that are willing to come here, we do imaging uh, annually. So we do mm -hmm. imaging. So what happens is you do your index. You get a coach that you get virtually that tells you what it means. You set goals. Then you have access to the training that we find works. Um, and we've actually shown that it works as better as well as our in-person training. 
that actually surprised me. Oh, no, I, I wouldn't. It's because we're going from such, in my opinion, we're going from a very low base mm. in the mm. sense that because it's, <laughs> yeah. in the sense because no one's been taught about their brain, to be really frank. Yeah. Uh, and so you're giving them some information. It's like a prescription. I interviewed this really amazing young yeah. woman in the UK, Sarah Strohmeyer, on my podcast. She's not up yet, but she talks about a dose of mindfulness, mm. meaning that, meaning she was able to show that five minutes three times a week for two weeks had an impact as much as a long-term program, just mindfulness, attention to breathing, exercise for five minutes. I know. It's amazing. So that What you're describing to me is something yeah, I, I think that's a good starting place really is the awareness piece, isn't it? Yeah. You know what? We, we actually have done some randomized trials where we give people knowledge versus teach them tactical brain strategies. And then what are they doing in their life to apply them? And we didn't get near as much change with just here's general knowledge of things to do. People yeah. got it and they got excited about it but they didn't really incorporate it into their life. Yeah. So with the same level of training, so it, it's awareness, but it's you've got to actually do some things to change how you're using your brain. Like mindfulness, when people begin to see, oh, that's cleared my mind, I'm going to start doing that more. So in incorporating it into your daily life really matters uh, with how you're thinking and engaging with people. I was just wondering, have you watched the Drive to Survive series on Netflix, the Formula One series? No, but I've heard about it. Yes, well, they're now they've they've got all brain trainers, all the all the top drivers. You know, it makes sense for people that can focus so much. How do you keep from letting that stress take over? Yeah, I mean that's just mind boggling. So yeah. I can see athletes. We've worked with elite elite athletes. Um, a lot of Navy SEALs, those that have pushed the limits on every, they get it. They say the training that you do needs to be from the get-go. We do training from the neck down, yes. but you're, this is the first time that people have trained us how to really be fit from the neck up. Do you know so, um, Wim Hof? You met him? Say again? Wim Hof in the Netherlands doing the, the Iceman. Have you met the Iceman yet? I thought no. Maybe. Yeah, I thought you might have because he's like published in PNAS now, et cetera, and trained 40,000 people around the world around cold exposure. He's They've imaged his brain um, at weight. So I interviewed the person that imaged his brain to show a change in the brainstem um, through through um, conscious control of breathing and temperature. And what did they find? That he's changed a particular part of his brain. Ah. That's involved in temperature regulation in the in the actual serotonergic neurons in the brainstem. Oh wow! And he's trained thousands, forty thousand people around the world in this method. Yeah. And no, yeah. but it sounds like we need to engage with him. I I oh, love yes. that. Yeah, I'd love to meet with him. We are going to look. So there's a group of, you know, as you know, so many special forces have lost so many to suicide. We have a group of about forty that are. They want to do something to kind of show we need to stay fit. They're going to do, they're calling it seven by, they're going to do seven continents. And I think Australia is going to be one of them, uh, seven marathons, seven oceans. And they want to do 
kind of this. So they're going to do the brain imaging here to see health with fitness. And they want to see how does all of this change their brain? Fantastic. You know, and I said, what if it doesn't, you know, I'm anxious to see, is it good ways or bad ways when you stress your body to the limits, to the extreme, you know, it doesn't always mean that it's going to be good, no. uh, but we'll be able to help them regain what any things that they have. But is your focus going to be on suicide ideation, et cetera, changes by having this massive purpose and focus we're we're doing a study right now with our national guard to see by teaching people strategies ahead of time can we cut the rate you know suicidality is a complex issue of by the time they get to there it's pretty much no one ever knew you know and it's difficult to predict but we think that because we've already been able to show that our tactical brain strategies help reduce depression by 60% and stress by 40% in a very short window of time. We've worked with law enforcement officers, uh, many of the military uh, football players, that it probably does help people when they start seeing innovative thinking is a big part of what we do with problem solving to see possibilities. Um, We've worked with people with bipolar disorder. And actually, I hadn't thought that our training would help someone with bipolar because you tend to think of it, well, no, tactical brain strategies can't help when you've got, you know, more of a chronic mental health disorder. But the psychiatrists that have been doing it for 25 years that say your strategies change this population more than anything I've ever done with them. They started redefining themselves. Uh, they started getting jobs, they started getting out of bed, they started developing relationships. So it's when I say that, when we think about mental health, it's siloed and victimized. It needs to be both and they get the medical help they need, but you've got to learn to see yourself as part of the equation to be you but better. And also you you but better. Yes. And the neuroimaging studies, I mean, neuroimaging has really totally transformed our field. It's really, it's really helped what you're doing and it's really helped understand what I'm doing in terms of being able to see inside the brain for the first time in history. That's really helped a lot. Um, and also that big, huge meta-analysis of 16,000 brains has shown that one of the common deficits, if you want to call it a deficit or a change across schizophrenia, bipolar addiction, depression, etc is in the cognitive you call it executive center there's a part of the brain for the audience the top part of the brain within the prefrontal cortex etc that gets impacted by these uh, neurological um, disorders that are inherited plus your environment you grow in causes this deficit and it's in this cognitive capacity part of the brain isn't it so yeah a lot about what your programs do and is about enhancing human cognitive capacity. What you're actually talking about there is strengthening the physical connections in that part of the brain that gets impacted across all these these disorders. Yeah, and so long, Selena, we focused on what's wrong with the brain when you have these disorders. You know, let's just chart kind of what goes on and we're seeing earlier and earlier changes that we predict he's going to develop it. But there hasn't been a focus on what if we could strengthen those and prevent it? And that's really what this, the Brain Health Project is all about. And you're right. Brain imaging, I've, we've been showing these changes for almost four decades. Yes. And it wasn't until the advent of brain imaging where we could look at these functional measures that now people go, oh, 
you're, this is real. And I'm like, yes, it's real. The people changed in life. That wasn't enough for them. No, I you know. It's not until the brain imaging. It is a type of validation and a verification. But I, 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 I kind of look at it, Sandy, as um, you can't, you can see your muscles changing when you're in the gym looking in the mirror, but the brain's been hidden. And so I don't know what your view is on this, but for me, it's like, because you can't see it, it mm-hmm. makes it very hard for people to understand it. And neuroimaging has kind of allowed us to open the window for everybody to see it. And also um, our focus in terms of the brain, in my opinion, has been filled because of this vacuum in knowledge with lots of people making it up. Mm. There's so many things people do in these brain spaces because people have not understood it in, in a way and we've always focused on behavior and looking yeah. at people and what they're doing rather than understanding where their brain's at. And and neuroimaging and these indexes and this new way of thinking allows us to see something in a different way that's now knowledge becoming facts. Yeah. Yes, rather than absolutely. made up. <laughs> yeah. And and wishful thinking. No, I totally agree. This rigorous science of showing changes. I mean, we know the brain changes moment to moment by everything we do. We just don't know if it's a good change or bad change. So we want to show brain change, but we also want to show, you know, improvement in cognition, social, and when they converge, that you can see the correspondence, you know, that these brain changes are being strengthened to support real life behaviors and and not in the bad way because it it can go both directions for absolutely that's what stress is isn't it it certain types of it like isolation can make it go bad too Mm -hmm. absolutely our mindset of i'm a failure i'm not ever going to be doing that actually weakens the brain's uh kind of mindset but it's central executive where you move out of this problem solving and let your emotional brain drive your behavior So, Sandy, how did you manage to get these amazing speakers into your speaker program? I have to tell the audience you had Deepak Chopra, who's they're all celebrities in their own right. And they're all now committed to behind your center in terms of talking. They're even writing books about the brain, aren't they? Yeah, you know, we we realized, I think it was the pandemic as you started in the beginning, that we realized we need to put a concerted effort and get the people that are going to cause attention to this cause of brain health. If we're going to start a movement where every single person says brain, let's go. We need people that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people follow. And that's where Deepak Chopra and Sanjay Gupta and, you know, Mark Desposito coming to speak. So we, we stretched to do this brain health presents and, they, you know, I think for them, they were so impressed to see the rigorous science behind what we were doing, that they hadn't even realized that so much more could be done than what they even imagined. So it's kind of a win for them and a win for us. So what's your life purpose now, Sandy? My life purpose is really to reach you know, depending on what, what it is now, 7.8 billion people. I want every single person around this globe to know that they can take their brain and every single day do something to make it stronger, better, and not to believe labels that are put on them. And I won't stop until we've reached every continent and people of all walks of life. 
So I need to work faster. Is Mike Merzenich, the gut, I call him the godfather of neuroplasticity. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> He's one of my partners and he said, Senior, we need to work faster because we're getting older. And so I said, I, let's work as fast as we can. But it's people like you that can spread the word where it's individuals that matter. It's not us. It's them taking up the mantle. And it's also women. You know, women carry the burden of so much of the stress, but they're also the ones that are sort of the ones that take care of their families and kind of encourage people to be the most they can be. So I think there's power behind brain health, but I think women, while they may suffer, can also carry a lot of the, carry it forward in this movement. So can I just ask you, Sandy, um, what we know is from adverse childhood experiences, as you know, that work and now uh, around, it started in America with Andrew and Folletti demonstrating how our environment and the number of adverse childhood experiences we've had can impact our brain health. Um, and, you know, we now have Nadine Burke is the Surgeon General in California trying to do screens on this for kids, etc. So we do know poverty impacts our brain health. So you mentioned a lot about how you've written studies around how you can help people that are experiencing poverty. What is like for, for people listening right now, can, can you say one thing or two that might give someone hope of, about what you taught someone and how that helped them, despite their environment, move forward? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, when we talk about people in poverty, I do recognize that there needs to be a certain level of financial to to not worry about, are you going to eat today and so forth. So, you know, it's people and having a secure home and a secure place really matters. But what it, what we have found is that by teaching individuals when, the, and we start middle school actually is where we start because we have shown that the brain, even if they are, have failed all the way to middle school and lived in poverty and really very traumatic circumstances of yeah. violence in prison, you know, with family members, we have shown that when they realize that those do not have to define you every single day, you have survived to this point, you have probably become an innovative thinker. You don't realize that poverty makes you an education that no school can and if you can take the strategies that you and your family have done to survive and embrace that to define your own path forward in a successful way, you will you can make it because you, the fact that you're here today tells me you are one wicked smart person. And it's that innovative thinking that people realize it's not about, did I memorize that fact? Did I know that math problem? But it's being able to embrace constant change and thrive or survive there. I mean, when we teach them that you have and your families have found ways to survive impossible circumstances makes you wicked smart. I Don't let anyone take that from you. I love that. I agree completely. Um, I've been We've just misdefined smart as to grades and, you yeah. know, certain courses that, 
you know, so, and that's really what our brain health index does is it redefines it in a whole new way. So good. I just love that. And you're so spot on. I mean, I, that's for a whole other conversation, to be honest. I could go on on about that, but we're going to run out of your, I don't want to use up more of your time. So, um, and thank you for saying that. That yeah, I think there's nothing more important than people understanding that because I think the one piece of research that's shown is that people that have genius brains born into poverty don't get to realize their potential because of the poverty. But what you're da- saying is let's turn that on its head and let's look at the genius brain and work out steps to minimize the impact of the poverty on your potential. Mm-hmm. It's so important message that, and we need all teachers and programs that are in special education and all these other places dealing with kids that won't even go to school at the moment. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of that happening. Um, yes. That turning around of that mindset is so critically important because it's the adults that drive what the children do. It's not the children driving the adults. And I think yeah. that's a, such an important message of teaching the teachers this new understanding. And that's what we're working with teachers now. We've actually been able to close the gap on kids in poverty by teaching the teachers during this year of the pandemic. When many of our kids in poverty, their schools were at the lowest performing and we've been able to move them to the highest performing by teaching teachers how to teach not what is the memory, but teach them to create new knowledge, which is what our brain was wired to do from birth. And it never stops, but we put them in middle school and we go to the opposite of what your brain is wired to do. Innovate. Absolutely. Yeah. So as we close out this amazing opportunity to be with you, Sandy Chapman, and thank you. First of all, we want to say thank you for everything you've done for setting up that center and, and your continuing passion. Cause you can see the benefit. What would you say what advice would you give to a younger person seeking to emulate you? I would say, I would say, go be a rhino. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> I trained my whole team, a rhino. You've got to have tough skin. You've got to not listen to the naysayers and just charge through, go at it with all purpose and all goal. And when you have something that you just believe in so much, make sure that, as a rhino, that you connect it with people in your environment. Because when it, I just want to close with one thing that I think our world needs more of. And it's also the greatest brain activity anybody can do are acts of compassion. It's the most complex thing. And it's also the most powerful thing to problem solve. It changes your neuropharmacy. And it changes the person you showed compassion to. It's the most brain healthy thing you can do is show acts of compassion. So I would also tell people to find something where you show acts of compassion as you're being a rhino, charging hard after your goal with relentless tenacity to make a difference. Amazing. And and the other thing that I would like to add to that is people that are what I've seen in programs where people are had a lot of adversity, for example, in children under 18, they also benefit when they're allowed to be compassionate to others too, rather than having people do things or think of them in sympathy versus empathy, like looking down on them rather than looking up to them. As you said, they're wicked smart. And then them also being able to 
help others is actually helping them too is another thing that I've noticed is something that we kind of maybe not see. We think that they need all the help, if you know what I mean. So it's also allowing everyone to have that benefit. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much. Um, We look forward to seeing what's next as you go global. Which is I hope we so see a lot exciting. of Australians in the Brain Health Project. Yes, I'm sure we will. Um, and uh, I will like I, I look forward to maybe writing about this together um, so that people can learn more about it as well um, on the body soul column that we write. And uh, I look forward to meeting you in person too. Same here. I wish I, w- I wish you would come through Dallas. I think I think we might actually. I've never been to Dallas. It's been on my bucket list. Good. I think we need to make that happen. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Thank you.